I see tonight, today is the 9th, March the 9th, 2005. The title of the message is Not a Trivial Pursuit. The word, we'll begin with the word pursue. Uh, you might have a good de- definition. Chase after, get something else, pursue. Kind of your first thought. In more specific terms, to go after something, to go after something to chase, to uh, achieve a goal, to grab a hold of something in front of you. Correct. This is the definition they give. The basic meaning, and this is from the Old Testament version of pursue within the Bible. The basic meaning of this verb is to pursue after, as an enemy with the intent of overtaking and defeating him. So it's with the intent of not only chasing after, but eventually get to that and subdue. To chase and subdue. So, we'll start with sort of what Eric left off back uh, last Sunday. Remember he went over some of the three parts of man and having the, the realms at which they operate and which ones are subdued or controlled by the other? We often think that our flesh controls our soul and corrupts our spirit into doing certain things. The way God structured man is to have those three parts but like Eric said, you would have the spirit telling the mind what to do and the body what to do as well. That the flesh comes last in the chain of order. Whereas with now with man is in a fallen state, it's reversed with someone who is not born again. So, uh, remember this. We are living in, in and around an environment or in a body that was intentionally created to be perfect. And I wrote this note for myself because I want to get in everybody's minds that your body, with the condition that you're in right now, and everything you see around you on planet Earth had the initial intent of being perfect, but is now corrupted by sin and its desires. That includes your body and everything that you see on Earth. Meaning that all is in a state of deterioration and is not an entirely separate creation that's less than God's standards. Meaning that the very thing that we're talking about of that's corrupted by sin as desires, it's not something totally new. That's been a building revelation in me. You know, once you start to see exactly what Jesus has done to you and will do to the entire universe, he's not starting over with something new. It's like, well, man, man, man messed up, Adam and Eve messed up, let me just create some new people, and they'll just be less than. No, they're from the same source. Adam and Eve, your mother and father, my mother and father, were intended to be perfect, but it's been corrupted. Now, how's this tie into pursue? We'll get into that. We first got to understand that man's design was patterned after God's design. As said in Genesis 1.26, we'll write that down, <clears throat> if we haven't been in Genesis already. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them <clears throat> rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures, creatures that move along the ground. So that's man and his dominion. Both, once again, created with the intent of being perfect. We constantly watch Discovery Channel. We watch the news. 
It's almost sometimes watching the exact same thing. You see the frustration of sin at work. The animals kill and eat each other. Men kill. And in some places in the country and the world, they eat each other. But you see this, this violence and this death is what it really is taking place. Uh, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them alike. Uh, a little bit further down, only in one place in the Bible that I could find so far, it's really in the New Testament, does the, the three terms spirit, soul, and body appear. Now, you would think it would just be all over the place. But really, it's usually body and spirit usually coincide pretty, pretty close. But it's that middle word soul, and all three of them have been really laid out together. Now, we know from the temptation of Eve, corresponding with a verse in 1 John, that there are three sins that are common to man. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And each one, I'm, just, I mean, I'm giving you a condensed version, but each one of those relating to the three parts of man. I won't really go into that, but I'll read that verse. Uh, it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirits, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So it's pretty interesting. The, the one place that it is mentioned, all three of those parts, it's talking about keeping it pure until the day that Jesus returns to set up his kingdom. Now, we'll talk about the pursuits of the outward man, of the carnal nature. Anybody name a few? Just your, let me say, daily necessities. Food. Sleep. Shelter. Hey, if this was like a you know, family feud, you would see those things pop up. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Have them all listed out. That's exactly it. Food, sleep, shelter, and to some degree, money. Uh, or, you know, substance. <clears throat> now, uh, anybody name some of the excesses of those categories? Gluttony. Hey, ding, 51%. Uh, sleep. Somebody, everybody turn to Proverbs 20. It's a pretty interesting uh, verse. Proverbs 20, verse 13. Do not love sleep, or you will grow poor. You grow poor. Stay awake, and you will have food to spare. Now, this is talking about a pretty, a pretty earthly thing, you know, earthly principle. If you're lazy, you, you, won't, you won't eat, basically. You won't live. There's also a spiritual principle in that we'll get to later. Uh, soulish pursuits. So we have the outward, we have the carnal, it's excesses of gluttony, and of sleep. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed shelter. Uh, when I think of shelter in its excess, uh, I think of man providing himself a covering that's bigger, much bigger than what he actually needs. Solomon. Now, Solomon really was an issue of having a house, though the dude, the guy was rich as all get out. He was the, the symbol of peace, uh, the time of peace, the golden age. But he surrounded himself with such 
a large, vast number of wives, which also could represent your house, your comfort zone, your establishment of who you are. What, what eventually led to, I mean, at, around that point in time, maybe a little before, a little bit after, polygamy was somewhat allowed within the men of God that we saw. David, you know, way before that, Abraham, such and so on. But he got to the point where it was excess. It was this massive amount of wives. And the, I mean, not only just wives, but then from, separate from them, a harem of concubines, of women. And it symbolized his power, his strength. Did he need that many? Good Lord, how could a man ever want that many? <laughs> um, but you can begin to see how that eventually led to this guy's downfall. Or, not necessarily downfall, but a deterioration in his spiritual state. It, it, it sucked him dry. Money. Uh, everybody turn to 1 Timothy 6. What's the root of all evil? Real quick. The love. The love of money. So tonight's message is about love money. No. 1 Timothy 6. Page number 1321. <laughs> Not chapter and verse, no. I can't tell you how many times me, before Jesus, I misquote the scripture. Because I automatically thought, money is the root of all evil. Now, I'm not up here to preach prosperity gospel at all. But we all know it takes money to just live. Basic, basic things. You need to buy a house. You need to buy food. You need to buy clothes. clothes. Can you buy sleep? No, not really. But, I mean, it takes money to operate. Once again, getting into when you get into danger is when it's the excess. Where does greed really come from? It comes from the sinful nature. What does the sinful nature want to do? It wants to take what is perfect and go beyond excess to the point where it corrupts. First Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great dividential gains. Great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing... We will, be, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. It's usually the, these, these dreams of get rich quick or you can amass this great amount of money. Me and Eric were talking the other day and one thing we have to constantly balance is in the state that we're at, we're trying to work in ministry and then work in a secular field. My goal in a secular field is not to become rich, especially in, in sales. You know, my bosses haven't told me this, but the ideal for being in sales is sell as much as you can so that you can make as much as you can. And I mean, in all fairness, that's not just sales. That's any secular job that's out there. Make as much money as you can so that you can store up as many riches as you can, and do whatever you want. That's the lie. You have all this money, and you can do whatever you want. Look, I have never been rich, but I've watched it. It controls you. It tells you what to do. The lottery is a huge fantasy. Can it solve problems? Yes. But you know what the Word tells me? Oh, man, right there. Uh, 
you'll fall into temptation and a trap and into many, many foolish and harmful desires. It lead to what? Destruction. It lead to death. Is it a sin to be rich? No, it's not what I'm saying. So for those of you in this room, those of you on on internet, wherever, please don't take that the wrong way. It's foolish to go beyond the boundary that God has set for you. He knows how much I can handle. Because, I mean, there are times when, I'll be honest with myself, I'm not well defined in, in budgetary manners to a certain degree. And if all of a sudden I'm given this mass amount, I would really, I mean, my first reaction, just to maintain and be godly, would be to cut 90% off of it and give it away and keep 10 Because I know my mind will begin to race and it will put me, with that, that kind of ability financially, it would be easy for me to not hear the will of God because I can see my will so dominant within it. I'll have many foolish, many foolish temptations. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Uh, Let's move more into the the, the soulish pursuit. Um, Now, when we mentioned soul last week, the three terms that you would associate with that would be what? The soul. What, what defines your soul? Mind, will, and emotions. Now, once again, just as we had the setup in the outward or the carnal makeup of man, we also have uh, your daily necessities and then the excesses. Same thing exists within your soul. We'll start with knowledge. Knowledge is, uh, I mean, if you don't have it, you basically won't survive. <laughs> Within, uh, within life period. A lot of times within the charismatic world, people get born again, they get spirit-filled, they come down to the altar, and that's where they leave their knowledge. And they go right back out. Uh, yeah, the Spirit of God is wonderful, He's great, but He also requires of you to use knowledge. Uh, the next beyond that <clears throat> is the emotions. I grew up in my spiritual walk the first year in an environment that never expounded on the emotions of God. Once again, we're made up in the same likeness as God is. God has desires. He has needs. He also has knowledge, obviously, and he has emotion. The ability to express that emotion we normally experience is within this worship setting of love, joy, peace, uh, excitement. There's also compassion. There's also sadness. If you look at the tsunami thing, you see how many people, regardless of what what sin condition they were in, because man in general is made up in the likeness of God, they saw what happened when they saw death and destruction. They had immediate compassion, and the world just wanted to pour out their heart to them. Uh, going, going into uh, the good emotions that we're most familiar with, of the love, the joy, and also the sadness. We can, you can get into excess, once again, where it becomes an unhealthy state that will hinder you from progressing in your spiritual walk. Next thing, and one more thing in addition to uh, emotions, can be your will. So we have your knowledge, we have your emotions, and you have your will. Now this one uh, is probably the most uh, of the battlegrounds because knowledge can influence it, your emotions 
can influence your will. Your spiritual man is supposed to dominate it and tell it where to go by controlling the knowledge, by controlling the emotions. And then you have that first one that we talked about, your body. I'll give you for, for instance. Um, we're moving, uh, and this is just a, a hypothetical. We're moving uh, from state to state to move here. I know it's God's will for me to move here. If all of a sudden I thought or I felt that there was something about Houston, something about Sugarland, something about the move that would be harmful to the future of my children, to the future of myself or my wife, not having a defined plan, and I didn't have the knowledge or the balance of God's word for my knowledge and for my emotions, it would be extremely hard for me to determine what my will is. Now, uh, early in my walk, <laughs> I used to drive around and I would go to the only grocery store that Jesus would tell me to do. I would only brush my teeth when Jesus would tell me to do. I was so led by the Spirit that I did not have a will of my own. And there was a balance I had to work with that. I had to grow and learn that, yes, I do have a will, and sometimes God would not clearly define his will for you. Because, number one, he's not going to give you the opportunity to control it. And plus, he wants to see where is your heart? Where is your will? Is it really seeking after mine? Is it really... Uh, a lot of times we, we pray to hear God's voice and know his will. It's sitting right here in the Word. I mean, Jesus summed everything up with two commands. He summed up the whole law. That's, I mean, that, that's the Torah. That's five books. It makes the Levitical code with two commands. He boiled it down. If your foundation and your core is to love God, love your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and your neighbor as yourself, then everything from that foundation will be true and straight. Same thing with my will. If I'm doing something out of love and let it be born from that foundation of loving Jesus with everything I got and my neighbor as myself, then I don't necessarily have to know every minute detail. Here's the reverse side of that. I have to be sent enough to the Spirit to know when to pull back my will on small issues and when He's trying to intervene to put me in a certain place at a certain time to meet or do a certain, uh, to meet a certain person or do a certain task. That's a lot of big words. For instance, I'm, uh, this was a real deal. I'm late for work. I'm getting frustrated. I can't get my clothes. And I've got to go to a meeting. And next thing I'm just driving. Uh, it wasn't nothing for my strength, but I just ride in my car, put on some worship music. I began to feel his presence come down. I said, you know what? I need to just pull off here to the side. I need to type some stuff on my computer. So I do that. And immediately I begin to get this sensing that something unique is happening. Something is stirring in my spirit that is a timely event. Now my will would have said, no, I need to go to the shop. I need to go to the meeting. I'll just get on Highway 59 and go. But I remember, or I've been trained to know, to, when you sense that, begin to be more sensitive. What is Jesus trying to do right now? So I pull off to the side, right over by Jason's Deli. Long story short, I see an old friend of mine that uh, spiritually conditioned, very poor, that I went to high school with. Uh, haven't seen him in probably eight years. And in Sugarland, Texas, on that morning, I crossed paths with him. Crossed paths with him. He was doing training at a local restaurant, and would only been there for the next couple of weeks. And that was the opportune time. I stopped. I talked with him. He saw the glow of Jesus on my face. 
It was a God-ordained appointment. And then I left. Whenever I, before I got spirit-filled, um, Buzz Treme was a part of my life when I was around eight or nine years old. My parents were born again spirit-filled, and they went to these meetings at Bethany, and that's how we got to know Buzz. Years later, haven't seen Buzz, haven't heard of him. I go to leave to go visit my brother uh, in Alexandria. So I leave the church I was at early, Sunday morning. Opportune time, I turn on the radio. A time during Sunday mornings, I would have never turned on that radio. Guess who it was? It was Buzz Treme, his radio program. His message that day, tongues. And I was struggling of what to do with tongues. He mentioned a Mexico trip. Right then and there, God spoke to me and said, you're going on a Mexico trip. Haven't seen Buzz in probably six or seven years. Opportune time of listening to radio I never would have before. I hear about a trip and Jesus tells me I'm going. My immediate mind is saying, yeah, when donkeys fly. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Three months later, I'm born again spirit-filled on a bus head in Mexico. So uh, this one's talking about will. You can have your will, but it has to be constantly subject to the leading of the spirit. And when it's in excess is when it's in excess in your will, not his. What we're going to get to is you're seeing that when it comes to our flesh, when it comes to our soul, it's really the excess in these that start to cause problems. We'll get into uh, the spiritual side of that as well. Uh, let's focus a little bit on knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8. Now, as every zealous Christian out there that is hungry to acquire the things of God, I basically would have slept with my head on the Bible if I knew I would learn more right after I got born again, and even after experiencing Spirit-filled. One thing I really had to learn was, uh, you know, the, the principle of John is what I like to call it. After being with Jesus so long, uh, you know, disciple John, uh, his main focus in his letters uh, in accounts of him speaking in churches was love. This bottom line, love. I'm thinking, that is so, initially, so simple. No. No, the guy had his thumb right on where everything belongs. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The formula is, really, love plus knowledge will equal wisdom because love puts to use knowledge in the right fashion. You know, knowledge in action is wisdom, but knowledge in action with Love, love from Jesus is godly wisdom, not the wisdom of this age. So I began to learn very quick that just because you have the right answer doesn't mean you always have to give it. And sometimes you don't have completely the right answer. And that to, once again, go from that foundation of doing something in love pleases God more than what you know. God's not impressed with your knowledge. He's impressed with your ability to have faith in him and to act like him. And that's not necessarily telling everybody what you think. Uh, e, 
I think of the emotional as, as these two words, feeling compelled. I was compelled to do this. You know, uh, oftentimes we hear about uh, Saul, you know, waiting for Samuel to come. And he didn't come in just the right time. And Saul felt compelled to do the sacrifices. Um, I think of also one Judas. Judas, when not seeing the, his will for Jesus' life and ministry not come about, I'm sure right before he started talking to the, the chief priest, the high priest, he began to feel compelled that if Jesus isn't going to do it, I need to put this into action. I need to force Jesus in the corner to where he will be, you know, the hammer, the salvation of Israel, and overthrow the enemies around us. And it's this feeling compelled about our emotions that really can get us into trouble. And going back to what I said earlier about the will of God, being led by the Spirit is sometimes a hard, hard fight. You have to, like the, the title of this message, you have to pursue. You have to begin to pursue. I see things and I feel things, but they're, they don't match up with the, the knowledge of God. Jesus, what are you really talking about? What do you really want from me? And what do you need me to do right now? And it takes a pursuit. I mean, we say we were Americans, but to be honest with you, it's human nature. It's human nature to want something immediately. I, I do something immediately, I want a result. Because I do not have time to wait around. I have to get this done. That's not always the case. Jesus will put you in murky situations sometimes to make you pursue, to make you run after. And the end product is, is that you're more mature, is that you have a, a larger strength and understanding of, of uh, uh, the, the depth of what it takes to be a real Christian, the depth of, of what it takes to find out the will of God. And you will not take it for granted. Spiritual pursuits. The spiritual pursuits counter effect or counter the excesses of the carnal and soulful while fulfilling the essential or basic needs of them. Number one, it meets the outward needs while countering the sinful nature. What I mean by this is go to Matthew 6. Is everybody still with me? You awake? I talk louder. <laughs> Matthew 6, verse 25. Now, once again, I remind everybody, Jesus summed up the whole law with two commands. And if you look at his teachings to the people, they were very simple ideas, but they had profound truths and great impact. So next time you think, how am I going to pay this bill? How are we going to feed our kids? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Well, I mean, if, if your household is in order and you've got your mind and your, your family set on Jesus, we'll read this right here. 6 verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and than body more important than clothes? That's a good verse to read while you're fasting. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If Jesus, if God can create the creation and supply everything it needs to be as beautiful as it is, why not us as well? If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For, now this is going to some of the excesses. For the pagans run after all these things. They run after them. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God's not absent-minded. He's not ignorant of your position. He's not ignorant of your needs whatsoever. He sees them and knows them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has its trouble of its own. Now, I could use that, that verse and say, you know, seek first the kingdom of righteousness and BMWs and Jaguars and big homes is going to be added to you. No. One of the most encouraging things that Jesus spoke to my wife before we moved here, because we were just thinking, I mean, just once again, in the natural realm, how is this going to work? You know, how are we going to get the, the finances to move and then to live there? Uh, Jesus spoke to her and said, I will give you the perfect bite. She said, it's like a perfect spoonful, right for the spoon and right for the bite that you needed. So I put that verse into practice in, uh, in Philippians. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I am blessed or whether I'm not blessed. I've learned that secret of seeking his righteousness and his kingdom first and letting the peace just flow out from that. Spiritual pursuits meet the knowledge that you need. That's in Colossians 1. Colossians, Philippians, Colossians 1, page 1308. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. I'll stop right there. It's pretty amazing you dig into some of the large corporations and some of the monumental things in history that have changed the course of man. That just didn't happen. That wasn't coincidence. More times than not, it has been God's divine hand of giving someone divine natural knowledge so not contradictory, but divine natural knowledge 
about a technology, about uh, a deal, or, or about business that would change the course of not only their own life, but thousands, if not millions, of other people's lives. If it wasn't for Bill Gates having the inspiration to design the, the computer that he did and presenting it to, to IBM, and IBM not accepting, basically saying, take that and do what you want with it because it's a piece of junk. That one small case, that incident of IBM being blind and Bill Gates having the vision, despite the means that, or whatever roads that he took to eventually get where he's at now, that changed the course of man forever with windows. That changes our lives. That changes how our economy runs. That, that's changed the entire world. God has the ability to not only just give you knowledge about his word or knowledge about spiritual issues, but knowledge about how you live your daily life, how you operate business. I was encouraged. I heard somebody on the radio a while back that, you know, he prayed. He, he prayed that, that God would give him supernatural wisdom about how to deal with spiritual issues, but also supernatural wisdom about how to do his job. Everyone sees people in the fivefold ministry. Oh, they're in ministry. They're in ministry. That's not, not so. They're the ones that are dealing with the church needs of ministry, but without the congregation doing their ministry in their workforce, where is the church? It's nowhere. As God increases your ability to do your job better, it, it helps everybody all the way around. Uh, the, the verse that says, you know, do everything as unto the Lord. If I actually put that into practice every, every single day, I'm sure that my work ethic and my productivity in my job would increase. And that's exactly what it should be, that my business world work for or uh, testimony of the way I live should directly reflect my relationship with Jesus, that people see that I'm a hard worker, that I don't complain, that I'm not like everybody else there. Not that I'm a pushover, but I do everything as unto the Lord. And let, and let it be known. Somebody asks you, you know, why, why do you work so hard? Why do you like this all the time? I just, I can't be like that. Hey, I'm in love with Jesus, and he told me to do everything as unto him, as I was doing it directly to him. And so, despite what man does, that's where I get my joy from. Because he's my source of joy, not this job. Spiritual pursuits meet your emotional needs. Uh, we'll go to Colossians 4. Let's just flip a couple pages over. 4, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and at Nympha. And no, 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 is it right? Colossians 4.15. Hmm, that doesn't look right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, go to Philippians 4. Come back a little bit. So book right before this. Page 13.07. Philippians 4, verse, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but 
and everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And, so following after that, and the peace of God which which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That the peace of God, as you can see there, is a very, very powerful tool when combating the excesses of the soulless realm and even the, the, the carnal one as well. When your flesh is crying out, I must do this or I must do that, or your emotions are raging, but I want to say this. The key is, put that aside, make your request known to God, basically submitting your will to His. How do you want me to act? How do you want me to say? What, what countenance do you want me to have? And I don't really have to pray that long about that. But I wait for that peace to come. And it will guard, it will help protect me from not doing something that eventually will lead to sin or not benefiting the kingdom. Lastly, spiritual pursuit meets our will. Uh, let's go to Matthew, Matthew 25. I'm sorry, yeah, 25. I'm sorry, chapter 26, page 1104. Chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit over here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and they began to be sorrowful and troubled. Wow, Jesus had emotion. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Oh man, he's increasing faith, don't he? Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. So this isn't just kneeling at the the church altar. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If you ever have the thought that Jesus doesn't understand or have the capability of knowing what you're feeling or where you're at, you're wrong. He has every ability. He has walked in everybody's shoes. Not only was he most innocent of all mankind, but by no means did he deserve to to die the death he did or to experience the separation from his father that he did. But he did it for the behalf of man. That is a perfect example of his pursuit of I'm going to chase down peace. And once I get to peace, I'm going to conquer it. And I'm going to subdue it. And it will be mine. It will not be something that's fleeing, but I will pursue it until I have complete control over it. We oftentimes see as this pursuit of control as a, a bad thing. Because it's usually from one man over another or between companies. It's something that's vicious. The area that we are allowed to pursue in this intense manner are the things of God. You are allowed to pursue Jesus like he is this treasure or 
with the same intensity as I want to overcome and conquer. Not to control, but really to be totally infused with. I want everything that Jesus has for me. It's when we begin to lose that desire and lose that hunger for that pursuit that you notice your spiritual walk will begin to wane. Let's go to Second Peter. We'll wrap it up with that. Second Peter, Second Peter. 1352. Chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. So that through, through what? His very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Remember the first thing that we read of how your bodies, you yourselves, and your entire environment was created with the intent of being perfect, but is now corrupted. It's through these promises of being born again, of being filled with the Spirit, that I participate in a nature that is divine, that is totally foreign to everything else that surrounds me, because it's corrupted. And I am too, but I get the opportunity to participate in something that they do not, that even the creation does not, not yet that He gives me the power to sustain walking in that as well. Verse 5. For this very reason, what reason would that be? Anybody got an answer? For this very reason, what reason is He talking about? Caught you sleeping, caught you sleeping. For this very reason, it's... uh, is hinging so that you uh, read the verse above it so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires for this very reason because there's corruption because there's fallen state make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Wow, look what he ends on. For if you possess these quantities in increasing measure, it's not good enough to be born again when you were nine. It's not good enough to speak in tongues one time. I'm supposed to eagerly pursue these things on a daily basis and be looking to increase them every single day. The title of our ministry, Life Changing Ministry, it's not just about people being born again. It's about people being born again and forever changed through the rest of their life. I do not want to be 70 and sitting in a pew dying and standing up and saying amen because I've been at that church or born again for so many years. I want to be a secret servant doing things left and right, active and eagerly pursuing the things of God, these very things, adding to my faith. 
It doesn't stop with believing. You can believe all day long. Demons believe. What does that make you? What are you, what are you adding to your faith? And we'll find out why you must do this. They will keep you from being ineffective. Immediately what comes to my mind are the, the trees, the branches that don't produce any fruit that Jesus talked about. What are, what's done with those? And cut off and burned. Ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If you, if you forget the grace of God, if you forget that you've been washed and clean, what does that make it easier for you to do? To sin. It makes it easier for you to listen to your soulish realm that's corrupted, to listen to your sinful nature. So the goal is, is not only just to have faith and have these increasing measure, but so that you don't fall away. <gasps> that's possible. That is possible. One of the most shocking moments of my entire walk was with, with a girl that I knew that we were just really just best friends. I love Jesus with this intense fire, and so does she. We've been born again probably about a year each. And we read the Word, we studied, and you could just see, man, she was in love with Jesus. That was the first person I really met that had the same intensity as I did. Uh, two years later, I saw her, and it began to change. She, had, she didn't have the same glow. She didn't have the same Jesus on her. She didn't reek with Jesus. A year after that, uh, I found out that she went back on drugs and her life was a total wreck. What it, I don't know what it hinged on, but I know that that Second Peter verse wasn't being put into effect. That I know there are some things in her life that, that she wasn't sure of when it came to spiritual gifts and those kind of things. Was that the key foundation of her falling away? I don't know. But it rocked my world because I saw somebody that I was equal with, if not a little bit lower in a zeal for Jesus. And I saw them lose it and fall away. And then she just didn't fall a little bit. She fell way out. So, bottom line, the things of God are not to be played with. They're not just toys. Uh, they have life or death in them. So, everybody stand to your feet.